if I didn't mention it before, welcome to church. Um, we are in Hebrews chapter 11 today. If I uh, you have your Bible, I encourage you to open there. Also, if you want to take some time, I won't, uh, won't give you a hard time about it. If you want to take some time and fill out that connection card that's in your pew, if you have any prayer requests, take some time to do that. And uh, those of you online, too, there's an online connection card. Um, we've got a number of people that still watch with us online and, and are part of our church in that community. So I want to welcome each one that's uh, joining us there as well. Hebrews chapter 11. Like I said, we are jumping back into this series that uh, we've done in a few different sections because Hebrews is a, kind of a big book, right? It's a big deal. And um, there's, there's been a lot that we've covered already. And it's actually my privilege to preach, again, the greatest message in the whole Bible. It's not because it's me. It's because it's this, the passage we're in, um, Hebrews chapter 11. And it's a, it's a passage on the heroes of our faith. Um, what, what we know of it as we, we know of it as the hall of faith. If you think of a hall of fame for, for people that love sports, this is what it is in the Christian world. Okay, we're we're looking back, we're remembering these men and these m women who demonstrated lives of faith, and we're going to actually learn from our time together. What what is faith? What is faith? How do we get it? And how do we live by it? And we're going to learn from the examples that we see today. But as we, um, as we approach this text, let me just bring you up to speed to where we've come from in the book of Hebrews to chapter 11 right now. Um, it's been, been a number of months since we've been in this book, so let me just tell you, we remember, we don't know who the author of this book is, right, this, this letter, but we do know who the recipients were, right? They were, they were basically Messianic Jews. They, they were people that had come out of the religious system of Judaism and now they'd heard about Christ and they were following Jesus. They trusted in him and his work on the cross and trusted that he was the only way for salvation. But because they came out of that religious system of Judaism, what was going on was that uh, they were facing a lot of persecution. And because of that persecution, they were actually being tempted to leave their faith completely or actually worse, mix it with the practices of, of Judaism, okay? And what makes this bad is that the practices of Judaism uh, were pretty much dominated by the Pharisees during that time, which actually believed that you could merit your way through works to heaven itself. I have a couple quotes I want to just begin with. A lot of you guys listened to John MacArthur's teaching, and I did uh, some listening to a couple messages that he did on Hebrews chapter 11, and here's, here's a couple things that he said in explaining the situation that these believers were in, okay? He said this, according to Phariseeism of the first century Judaism, righteousness, or being right with God, forgiveness from sin, and ultimate salvation could only be achieved through a rigorous system of meritous works. So in other words, under their system, at that time, you saved yourself. Your religious activities, your, your moral duties was what gained favor with God. And, and, and to explain it a little bit more, here, here's what was going on. It wasn't that they found it in the Old Testament. It wasn't that they found that system in the Old Testament they had actually twisted it. And here's what he says. Jewish tradition had twisted God's law. The law had been given to show that man was a sinner. That's what it did. Showed that we're incapable of approaching a holy God. 
but they twisted it and turned it into a means of salvation. So that if you just kept God's law and the 600 other or more laws additional that they had added to it, that you could actually gain enough works to purchase your righteousness, your forgiveness, and your ultimate place in God's eternal kingdom. And so their attempts to draw near to God formed a basically a, a religious works-based cult. That's essentially what Judaism was at that time. And so you can see how detrimental that would be for these Christians. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews warns them over and over again, don't go back. Don't think that your works are what gains you favor with God. Jesus and his work is what you need to look toward. And that's why as we, as we just uh, give a little summary here, you'll see up on the screen things that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was superior to, right? We remember he's superior to the angels and the Torah because he is the word made flesh. We know that he is superior to Moses in the promised land because he is the hope for a new creation. We see that he's superior to the priest in Melchizedek because he is our eternal high priest making intercession at the right hand of God. And he is superior to the sacrifices in the Old Covenant because he, Jesus, offered himself once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. That's our Jesus. And so he elevates Jesus Christ as being central, superior, sufficient over all. And that, that's for us today. When we, when we look at what we do as a church, that's, that's our goal to elevate Jesus, not ourselves, to look to him as being sufficient, central, and superior in every single thing that we do. And so he comes to a conclusion here, chapter 10, before we get to 11. He, he uses this word, therefore, in, uh, in verse, uh, starts at 19, then it goes on in 22. He basically says, Therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, what it means is that you need to just go back and, and take a look at every, every argument that he's made thus far, okay? So therefore, because he's superior to everything, to all these things that you could or have put your faith in, he says this, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Just as we were singing just a few moments ago, I'll put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down, right? We're singing these, these words out. That's what the writer of Hebrews was communicating. Draw near to Jesus. Stop trying to get to God by all your religious activities. You know, one thing that is a, is a blessing to have grown up in and, and you are a part of is, is we are products of the Protestant Reformation. 
And if you know anything about the Protestant Reformation, what, what Martin Luther and the other, other reformers argued for is that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by faith. In fact, a list of some of the things that you could actually um, gain from studying the Protestant Reformation is this, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And a lot of this is pulled from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not by works, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we, we teach rightly, we're justified, we're made right with God by faith. And not by works. But let me ask you, do we actually know what faith is? Do we know where it comes from? Do we know how to have it and live by it? Now, we know that it's not works, but what is it? What is it? Now, the New Testament, um, actually, the Apostle James, the next book over, he actually warns us of having a mere intellectual kind of faith and he says this, a faith like that, it won't save you. It won't save you. I was listening to a me message by Colin Smith this past week as well in preparation for, for our time together. And he said this, just, just to, to understand that faith is not just a mere intellectual assent. He, he's quoted to have said this, the devil knows that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and he rose again. He, he knows that. He even believes it, right? But you can have the same kind of faith as the devil. But if you, if you have the same kind of faith as the devil, don't be surprised if your future is with him. So if you're, if you're here today and, and you're thinking, man, I just thought that being a Christian meant that, I don't know, you just believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. Actually, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. That's what I want to talk to you about today. What is, what is faith? What is faith? Today, we're going to talk about, I've titled my message, The Substance of Saving Faith. The Substance of Saving Faith from Hebrews chapter 11. We're finally there. We're going to get into verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go through almost this entire passage and uh, study it together and learn what the substance of saving faith is. This passage of scripture, as I said, is known as the, the hall of faith. And um, it's, it's men and women that were examples to us of what true faith is. People that were commended as examples of faith. And it begins by saying this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you follow along in your Bibles, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I wish we had a good concrete definition of what faith is in this chapter, but we actually don't. We have a description, lots of descriptions of what faith is. And it begins with verse one right here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I, I believe actually a simple definition for faith is this, and I can't take credit for it, and I don't know where this guy got it from, but our own Pastor Reist, 
um, in staff meeting gave, gave me a great definition of what faith is, and I think it really helps us to come down and identify it. He said this, faith is to believe in God and act accordingly. Faith is to believe in God and to act accordingly. So if we think about these people that are going to be mentioned in these verses to come, what we're going to see is that they believed in God and their belief motivated their actions, right? Their belief caused them to do things. So God, God had promised them something or told them to do something and they acted in belief in what God had said. God had promised that he was going to send a Messiah. And so they acted in faith. They were assured. They were convicted in what they had not seen. And ultimately, what we're going to see by the end of this chapter in what they ultimately never did see. That's crazy. Hebrews chapter eleven thirteen. It's said that actually all these people died in faith. They all died in faith. Think about that. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from, from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They looked forward. They lived by a future forward-looking kind of faith. What did their faith look like, though? What was the substance of their faith? It says, it says, says in verse 2, by it, all these Old Testament people re- received their commendation. What did their faith look like? What did their faith look like? First point I want to give you is this. Their faith, their faith was more than just an intellectual agreement. Their faith was more than an intellectual agreement. You'll study this chapter and you're going to see over and over and over again that their faith was more than just a belief. A belief alone. No, their faith was active. It was doing things. You know, if you think about activity, you want to key in on the verbs here. And this is, this is where we're going. This is an easy study for you to do on your own, and we're going to do a little bit of it right now, okay? Let's look at the verbs in this passage. Let's look at the people and the verbs that were associated with them. To begin, to demonstrate faith is more than just an intellectual agreement. We see, first of all, verse 3, we see that faith understands. Faith understands. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith understands. Faith, what it's going to do is it's going to open up your understanding. I just recently had a conversation with my son the past couple weeks where it seems like this is a recurring conversation we've had a couple times now, but his classmates start talking about the earth and how we came into existence, and the age of the earth, and evolution. And, and, you know, because of what our kids are taught in school, they just start rattling off that, you know, oh, we came from, you know, form, we're formed millions and millions of years ago, where two rocks out in the universe <laughs> collided, and after millions of years, we have what we have today. We, that's, you know, that's how we came into existence. 
And they, they think it's fact. I mean, it's a theory, but they think it's a fact. They're taught it as if it's a fact. And Jesse, his radar starts going off as, as a child. He's, he's our second, second oldest. His radar starts going off. He's like, that, that's not what the Bible says. And in, in the innocence of, of his childlike faith, he says that back to his friends. Have you read the Bible? Don't you believe that God said he created the world? He created the earth and everything in it. The innocence of a child has the faith to believe that. You know, what, what, what the scripture says is that God created all this, right here, verse three, created all that there is out of nothing, right? Out of things that are not visible. Think about that. And so, so this is the passage of scripture I actually pointed him back to, to bring back to his friends, to ask him, well, where did those rocks come from that eventually collided, right? God created out of nothing. Ex nihilo is the big word, okay? And so, so by faith, we understand. Our faith brings understanding to how we came into existence and meaning for our existence as human beings, doesn't it? In the Psalms, it says in Psalm 119, verse 99, it says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. And sometimes we think faith and science, they're at odds with one another. But what I want to tell you is this, faith and science are not at odds. Actually, our faith explains our science. It explains what science un uncovers, and at if if at any point science tells a different story than what our faith tells us, than what the word of God tells us, then it's not our faith that's faulty. It's our science. Think about it. Think about it. Faith gives us understanding. Now, we took a lot of time on that, so we're going to move quickly through the rest of them here. Second one we see is this in verse 4. Here's a man of faith, the first man of faith. His name is Abel. And we see that faith offers, that's the verb. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So true faith is going to lead you to make sacrifices, to deny yourself, to commit to Jesus at a great cost. Third one is this, faith pleases God. This is in verse 5. We see by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch, he devoted his life to walking with God and pleasing God in everything that he did. His faith motivated him to do that, and it will motivate you to please God in what you do each day. Faith pleases God. Fourth, Faith builds. Verse 7, we see an example of Noah. Noah. We see by faith Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What does faith do? For this man Noah, probably living out in the middle of the desert, never having seen rain in his whole life, God tells him there's going to be a flood. What? Huh? What's a flood? He didn't even have a concept for that. But he spent years and years and years of his life 
looking like an absolute fool, initiating a project that God told him to start. And he finished it by faith. Finished it by faith. So faith, faith builds. Faith builds. Verse 8, faith obeys. Faith obeys. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was about to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God told him, I want you to leave your homeland and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. He didn't know the destination, but by faith he left. So faith is going to lead you to venture out into the unknown. Maybe God is going to call you to do that, to go, just go as an act of obedience and not know the destination. It will lead you to get up from the place where you are and to say, I, I must follow Jesus in obedience. So faith obeys. Verse 16, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit. This is a theme we see throughout the entire chapter of Hebrews is that faith longs. And what does it long for? Let's read the scripture. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Faith, what is it going to do? It's going to lead you to consider eternity as of greater value than your present life. That's what faith does. And you're going to see all throughout this passage, I highlighted a bunch of, bunch of places where these people were considering their homeland. They called it their homeland as more value than their actual dwelling place here on earth. They looked forward to uh, eternity with God. So faith longs for that. Seventh, faith trusts. And by the way, there's a lot more than what I'm, what I'm mentioning here. You can go and do your own study through it. For the sake of time, we're just picking out some of the main ones here. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. What did Abraham do? Abraham was a man who was called by God and, and, and said, said I'm gonna, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you, right? And the problem was he didn't have any kids. And so, so by the time he actually has a son, which is a miracle of itself, and this son starts growing up, what does God ask him to do? But to take him up to, to a mountain and sacrifice him. Well, first of all, that doesn't sound like our God, but he acted like, well, I'm going to obey. And he was learning and learning and learning to obey. And that's what he did. He, in faith, laid Isaac on an altar. He raised the knife and was about to, to, to kill his son by faith. And God stopped him by faith. W what I see from this is, is that faith is going to lead you to trust God when it doesn't make sense. It's going to lead you to let go of things that you hold precious and dear to you to give up security and stability here on this earth as you trust and you give yourself to him. Faith trusts. Keep it going. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. I get a little laugh out of this one because um, if you know anything about Jacob and Esau and when, when, God, when, when, when Isaac invoked a blessing upon them, um, you'll know that, that they were pretty rambunctious kids and they were getting at each other, right? A lot of shenanigans going on for that. I don't even know if people use that word anymore today, right? <laughs> but you'll read about it. 
they bl- Isaac blessed them. Isaac blessed them. And it just makes me think about what a blessing it is to have a mother or a father or a grandpa or a grandma or a great-grandma or a great-grandpa. Maybe that's you. That is passing on the blessing of the faith to their children. Isaac, in faith, he knew that God had promised to send a Messiah. And he, he, he blessed his children and said, it's coming and it's gonna come through you. And through us, we can, we can pass on the blessing of knowing Jesus to our children, right? That's our role. That's our role as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents. Wherever you are in your generation, you've been called to bless. You've been called to bless. Last one here um, is verse 21. And there's a lot more, as I said. Verse 21, faith worships. Faith worships. By faith, Jacob, when dying, he blessed each one of his sons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This, this man was on his last legs, and uh, leaning on his staff, he, he's dying, and he looks up to heaven, and he worships God, trusts in him. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about. In faith, Moses was hidden. In faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. In faith, Rahab hid the spies. But let me just take a second and just read the end of this chapter for us. You can follow along. If you didn't know, I didn't mention it before. I'm I'm using the ESV version. And let's just start in verse 32. Verse 32, it says this. What more shall I say? What more shall I say? For time would fail me. He's running out of time too. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith, here's a bunch of verbs, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mounts of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Let me just tell you, that's how faith works. That's how faith works. So what is faith? Faith is more than just an intellectual agreement or just a belief. Faith believes God and acts accordingly. Now, with each of these examples, what we see is that James kind of explains to us what's going on. If you turn over to the next book of Scripture, you'll see, you'll see James talk about faith and works, how faith without works is, is dead, and how we understand that is that he, he explains to us one of the characters in James chapter 2, verse 22. He says this, and you see that faith was active. You see that faith was active talking about Abraham, along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Whenever you read about faith 
in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, what you're going to see is that there's fruit that comes along with true faith. And why does faith do these things? Where does that energy come from? Why does faith understand and offer and build and obey and long and bless and worship? I believe right now we come to the central truth of what Hebrews chapter 11 is. Because as we said, it's not just about works. Central truth that I want to leave you with today is this. Faith unites us. Faith unites us to Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing you need to know. Faith is the way in which Christ becomes ours. And it's the bond by which we become his. Colin Smith, he's quoted to have said, the reason that we are justified by faith, made right by faith, is that faith unites us to the Christ who justifies. That's something you should write down if you don't know it. Our faith is not just about ourselves. It's about the Christ who we put our faith in. See, we're not, we're not justified by the strength of our faith. That's not what it's about. We're justified by the strength of our Savior. There's a man named Bishop Ryle. He, he wrote this, and I believe it, it really resonates well with our, our souls. It says, A believer's religion does not consist in mere intellectual assent to a certain set of propositions and doctrines. No, it consists in union communion, fellowship with an actual living person, even Jesus, the Son of God. It is a life of faith in Jesus, confidence in Jesus, leaning on Jesus, drawing out of the fullness of Jesus, speaking to Jesus, working for Jesus, loving Jesus, and looking for Jesus to come again. See, that's what we call the substance of saving faith. It all depends on him. It's not just an intellectual assent. It's not just a a bare belief. Faith loves the Christ who promises. Faith faith trusts the Christ who promises. Faith loves the Christ who, who redeems. And faith follows the Christ who falls. Faith involves the whole person, the body, the mind, the soul, the will. Faith looks to the fulfillment Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and his redeeming work on the cross. That is how faith works. That's how faith works. But I guess the question that I want to want to just hone in on for each one of us and and get get real practical with is, is how do we have faith? How do we attain the faith, saving faith? Where did each one of these people get their faith, and how can we have that same kind of faith? I think that we actually have the wrong tendency when we approach Hebrews chapter 11. We could approach this chapter and we could list off each of these men and women, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and we could elevate them and say, look at their faith. Imitate them, be like them, have more faith, have more faith, have more faith, have more faith. Just do it. 
have more faith. And I could have preached a message and said, you just need to have more faith. Pull your bootstraps up and just do it. But that's not how we have more faith. And the, if, we, if we preached like that, if that's the way we interpret, interpreted scripture, we'd be no different than the Pharisees who said just work and work and work and work and work and work and work. See, the real hero, the real hero in this chapter is not Abel, it's not Noah, it's not Abraham, it's not Jacob or Joseph, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, right? And, and I, I can't tell you to just muster up more faith. Here's the deal. If you could produce faith yourself, then your salvation would be dependent on you. You. What does Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say? Coming back to it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the grace that we receive and the faith by which we receive it, they're both a gift from God. You don't bring anything to the table. It's nothing we can earn or work for. And, and you see that actually very clearly. We have a highlight in Hebrews chapter 11 of some of the great things that people did in faith. But if you actually look at each one of these people's lives, as great as they were on paper, <laughs> it's kind of like a resume. You put your best, best self out, right? <laughs> but, but you know you're not that great. Man, there, there were people in here that were murderers, drunks, had lapses of judgment, had huge moral failures, and yet God gave them the faith to follow him. And you and I, we're, we're no different. We are no different than any single one of these people. The same way that they received faith and the same way that we have faith is... It's, it's both the same, man. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Now, as we close, let me just, just tell you, this is something that we need to pray for. And, and if you haven't prayed this prayer before, it's, it's something that, that I want to be praying for myself. It says, God, would you increase my faith? Would you increase my faith? And maybe for our church, we could pray this together. God, would you increase our faith? And would you call people to faith? Because ultimately, it's through him. It's from him. It's through him. It's for him that we live. Let's end this chapter here. And let's, uh, let's wrap things up. Verse 39. Verse 39. If you got the text in front of you, it says this. And all these... Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, something better for us. That apart from, from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, each of these people, they, they believed and they, they acted accordingly, didn't they? 
even though they didn't yet receive what had been promised, their faith looked forward to something better. Let me ask you, what was something better? Were they looking for a, a priest? Were they looking for a, a sacrifice? Were they looking for a law? Actually, the answer is yes. Yes, they were. They were looking for a great high priest. They were looking for the fulfillment of the law. They were looking for a perfect once for all sacrifice, and that was Jesus. And so I guess what the writer is trying to say as he ends this chapter is this. They had that kind of faith. How much more should we? We who have seen the fulfillment of our faith in Jesus and who await for his return, how much more should we then as a church live by faith? God has provided something better. That something better is Jesus Christ. He's our hope. And so he doesn't stop talking, actually, in chapter 11. His, his, his theme continues on in chapter 12. We're going to end here. Chapter 12. And PR is going to pick up from me next week to teach on chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. But, but we see that in chapter 12, verse 1, he says this. There's another therefore, right? Therefore, think about it. Go back. Consider all these people. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, because of this, this great, mighty cloud, this congregation of people that, that have trusted, looked forward Jesus. Let's run. Let's give him. Let's throw off the sin that, that entangles us. And let's look to him. Let's say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. I look to you. Will you come to him today? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're at the place where, I mean, a lot of you guys have been in, in church for a long time. And you, you know what it means to, to trust in Jesus, right? And you've trusted in Jesus. But man, you're, you're at a place where you're like, I need to actually like live like it. Make that your challenge today. Pray, God, would you increase my faith so that I live it out each day? Live it out in my workplace. Live it out in my family. Live it out in my business dealings. Live it out when, when 2021 is not what I thought it would be. God, would you increase my faith? Help me to consider eternity of more value than my present circumstances and look to you, Jesus, the sufficient. Maybe you're here and, and, and you're maybe on the opposite spectrum. Maybe you thought, first of all, that faith was just mere intellectual assent. You're like, oh, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. But you're realizing for the first time today that it's not just mere intellectual assent. It's actually trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
trusting and believing that he is the only way to God and giving up yourself, your works, your own righteousness, and saying, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. That's what his scripture says, John 14, 6. Jesus said this to us, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Here's, here's why it's important. What we deserve from God is punishment. God created this world completely perfect, completely pure, but man, we fell, we disobeyed God, and sin entered into this world, and we're under a curse. And there, right at the beginning of Genesis, God promised that he would send a Savior to come and bring us back in relationship with God, and that was Jesus Christ that he promised. Because of his holiness, because of his justice, because of his wrath, our sin deserves punishment. It says in Scripture that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Praise God, it doesn't end there. The gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, and you can do it today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved right now. If you don't know Jesus, would you confess your sins? Agree with God, repent, and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm fallen from you and by faith I put my trust in your work on the cross that bore the penalty for my sin. Lord, you took it on my behalf, and I trust in you. I want to be your child. If that's you, why don't, why don't we just uh, bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's take a moment with the Lord as we end this service. Let's pray together and thank him for his redeeming work on the cross, what he's done, and by faith, let's look to him. Father, we thank you that in you, Jesus, we find everything that we need. Lord, that again, we're reminded that everything is from you and through you and for you, God. And so, Father, would you increase our faith? Would you increase my faith? Would you increase the faith of my brothers and sisters here in this church today? And specifically, God, I, I just want to take a moment with these people that maybe are realizing for the first time they need to put their faith in you. Father, would you give them the faith to trust you today to repent and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive you as a Savior. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Make me your child today. God, thank you that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, it says, will be saved. And so, God, we rejoice. We rejoice in knowing this, God. Give us faith to go from here, to follow you, as you say, without faith, it's impossible, God, to please you. Give us faith. Give us faith, Lord, we pray. And help us to leave from this faith, leave from this place rejoicing in you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, thanks for taking time to uh, study this chapter with me. As you can see, it's huge. It's huge. Let me just, uh, let me just leave you with this benediction. Um, 
I call it benediction because it's an old school word, but it's actually some song, some, some song lyrics that we just sang. Let's say this together. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He will never let you down. He will never let me down. Praise God. Thank you for being with us today. Service is over. Church is not. <laughs> remind, remind yourself of that. Go be the church. Go be the church. Let's reach Traverse City with the gospel. And uh, we're grateful for each one of you guys. Have a great weekend, what's left of it. And we'll see you next week.